Hi, I'm Jo Rochelle, and this is Girl Wonder, a thoughtful and relaxing podcast that analyzes comics on Webtoon. If you want to dive deep into theories and relive some of the biggest moments in your favorite Webtoons, then you're absolutely in the right place. Sit back, relax, and we'll get started. Today on the podcast, we are discussing episodes 247 through 249 of Lore Olympus by Rachel Smythe. I'm really excited for this episode because my husband Josh will be joining me to discuss episodes 248 and 249, and there's just a lot of deep psychological stuff going on with our main characters that I can't wait to dive into. But before we do that, I want to encourage you to support the creator of this comic, Rachel Smythe, and there are a lot of ways to do that, which you'll find in the description box of this podcast episode, but one of the best ways is to go to loreolympusbooks.com and get yourself Laura Olympus in print. It is a lovely addition to any bookshelf. Walk into Barnes & Noble, look for the Laura Olympus section in the graphic novels, and treat yourself. Get yourself a copy. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. I created this as a space where I could discuss webtoons with people who are just as passionate about them as I am, and so I really, really appreciate you. Thank you for being here. And our top cities that have listened to this podcast the most in the last seven days are Gilbert, Lehigh Acres, Los Angeles, Royal Oak, Calgary in Canada, Seattle, and Ashburn. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. All right. Let's get into it. Episode 247 of Laura Olympus is called I Was a Good Daughter. Just from the title alone, I knew this was going to be a good episode. So, Demeter got the therapy first, while Persephone's running late. So we start the episode off with Demeter sitting across from Chiron. Did you notice Chiron had a, a horse clock, like two horses <laughs> with the clock in the middle? I love that little detail. So she's sitting across from Chiron and wondering if Chiron thinks she's terrible, which I thought was really interesting. She says, like, I suppose you think I'm terrible. And Chiron's quick to say she doesn't judge people. Like, that is not her job at all. And she's a great therapist. We already knew this. She would never say to Demeter, yes, I think you're terrible. But it made me think that Everyone's heard about this intervention that Demeter planned and executed, right? And how that completely backfired on her. I just think having Demeter say, I suppose you think I'm terrible, means that she deep down knows, like deep, deep down knows that she behaved terribly. Would you agree with that? It's possible that no matter what, Demeter knows she went too far and was very wrong with how she treated Persephone and that anyone could look at how she treated her daughter and be like, that was terrible. After a bit, Persephone shows up with cute little baby Dionysus, and Demeter looks at that baby and asks, Did you have a baby without telling me too? At first, this moment made me laugh out loud. But then, upon rereading it, it made me wonder if Demeter has a victim mentality. There were other ways to ask this question. She asked, Did you have a baby without telling me too? Which is very accusatory and very much like, You don't tell me anything right? Doesn't that have the same kind of, you don't tell me things. You keep everything away from me. I know I'm saying it in a whiny tone, but that, that's just how it reads to me. <laughs> Another way she could have asked is, whose baby is that? Or did you have a baby? Or, hey, Persephone, is that a baby? I mean, there was no greeting to her daughter at all. It wasn't like, hey, Persephone, she's seen her for the first time since she got married. Oh, Demeter. Word choice? 
in the dialogue is very critical in this episode, and we will not hold back in analyzing all of it. Chiron asks both of them, what would they like to get out of this therapy session? And if you recall from the episode before, this is a three-hour session. They're hoping to leave here with something. So Persephone says she wants some tools to navigate her relationship with her mother so they can coexist in a non-volatile way. Look at that word choice right there, coexist, not be friends again, or be close, or even get along. She wants a way where she can be in the same room with her mother and they can both tolerate each other. She wants tools to coexist. I want Persephone to get that, but I also want her to get more than that. For both Persephone and Demeter, it'd be nice if they could have a relationship beyond coexisting, beyond tolerating each other. When Chiron asks Demeter the same question, what do you want to get out of this session? Demeter says, I want to know why I wasn't invited to my own daughter's wedding. Once again, it feels like victim mentality. If not that, it's very much me, 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 me. And like accusatory still towards Persephone. Like these are the kinds of things that would get a rise out of somebody. And it works here because Persephone's like, you dropped Hades in a jar. And she's like, he was fine. And then we get a great line from Chiron who says, we're not here to point fingers. You can do that at home for free. People love that line in the comments, and so did I. I love Chiron. Natural Phenomenon commented on this episode of the Webtoon and said, This is so clever because in astrology, Chiron is the wounded healer and touches on the deeper traumas we will endure. These tend to be what we need to work through to learn a lesson and grow spiritually. I think it's so cool that she's a therapist here in this story. I had no idea. That's really cool. Demeter feels like Persephone leaving the mortal realm is fundamentally an act of selfishness. Her daughter is the goddess of spring, and she has a duty to serve the mortals there. And this is where we narrow down on what I think is the core problem slash conflict between Persephone and Demeter. And we've probably talked about it on the podcast before. It's tradition versus innovation, or traditional values versus modern values. Don't you think Demeter is very traditional? She's all about duty, duty above all. And she projects that heavily onto her own daughter. Meanwhile, Persephone has been an innovator for a long time, choosing her own path, even if that means rejecting what's expected of her. I felt for Persephone when she said, I feel frustrated because you haven't even seen what I do in the underworld, right? She's been extremely innovative when it comes to handling issues in the underworld. And her mother's not interested because she just cares about the traditional duties of the mortal realm. And she also has a distaste for the underworld. Here's more of Demeter's traditional point of view. She says, you don't see me going out for lunch or getting my nails done. I'm working. I'm working all the time because everyone is relying on me. Chiron says that sounds like a lot of pressure and Demeter admits that it is, but it's her responsibility, hers and Persephone's. She says it's our responsibility. Then Chiron does something brilliant. She asks about Demeter's relationship with her mother. And Demeter does another tactic that she typically employs when people get to the root of her issues, and that tactic is deflecting. She deflects. She says she doesn't see how that's relevant, and she's very hesitant to share any truths about her relationship with her mother. I mean, she says she was perfect. It was perfect, right? But we see with our own eyes and the visual representation of their relationship. We see Metis in the past telling Demeter she created her to help her defeat that man. And that man is Kronos. Already, we can see that Metis expected a lot of Demeter from the moment she was born. Minzoku commented on this episode and said, 
Imagine being born just for revenge, and they had a crying face emoji. Midday Stargazer also commented on this episode and said, Demeter was essentially born to be a servant in some ways. I bet she was treated differently than her sisters. I agree with that. I bet she definitely was. Pepper Reed commented and said, I didn't make you because I love you. I made you to kill that guy for me. Which is sad. And I think if Demeter were to look at it, from her point of view, she would be like, but I didn't do that to Persephone. I didn't make her to defeat anyone. You know what I mean? But she still projected similar dynamics from that mother-daughter relationship that she had. Still in flashback, Meta said it is her duty and Demeter's duty to give everyone a better life. Sound familiar? Because Demeter said that in therapy already. Demeter says she supported her mother a lot. She was a good daughter, which is the name of this episode. And I just want to interject for a second and say, Persephone is a really good daughter too. She really, really is. And she tried hard to be. But Demeter can't even come up with an example of something fun she did with Metis as a child. Fun is a luxury to Demeter. Very old school thinking, very traditional. She's kind of like stuck in the times of the Titans and that war and her duties and all the things she didn't get to have. She's trapped in it. Remember back in episode 131, interview with the Barley Mother? Persephone told Hades that she was glad that he got to see her version of spring. It was a one-time event that she got in a lot of trouble for doing because she did it her way. And, you know, Persephone's the innovator. She's going to choose her own path and do things the way she sees fit. But once again, traditional Demeter is not okay with that. And also, in episode 115, the Lore Olympus season 1 finale, Persephone and Demeter had a big fight before Persephone's act of wrath. Demeter wanted Persephone to commute to Olympus and still live in the mortal realm, and Persephone wanted her freedom so badly. She yelled at her mom, I don't want to live here. Everyone thinks I'm a joke, and I don't blame them. And you know what Demeter said in response to that? She asked, You know what I was doing when I was your age? Fighting in a war. I've provided literal paradise on earth for you, and you turn your nose up at it. You're an ungrateful brat who doesn't know anything of the world. And Persephone goes, whose fault is that? And so you can see there was a lot of foreshadowing that leads us to this point where Chiron lets Demeter know that she is modeling some of the same mother-daughter relationship that she had with Metis with her daughter Persephone. What I find fascinating is that there are some differences like, if you see that conversation they had in episode 115, Demeter feels like I provided literal heaven on earth for you. She gave Persephone what she would have loved Metis to give her, right? If Metis was just like, here, stay with me in the mortal realm and frolic amongst the flowers, Demeter would have been thrilled. But instead, she was made for war. And that is one of her core wounds. And so Demeter's response to Chiron is, I'm getting really tired. She shuts down when presented with hard truths, and she does go towards that victim mentality. She says, I just don't see the point of this. You've already decided that you don't need me in your life. You know, it's combative. Sometimes I say it's accusatory, and it is. She's accusing Persephone of things that Persephone has not said out loud, right? But it's really combative, and it's hard to get along with. Persephone says, of course, she needs her mother in her life, but the intervention was horrible. And Demeter knows this deep down, once again. She wouldn't have started this conversation with Chiron being like, I'm sure you think I'm terrible, if she didn't know she behaved terribly. 
I really like that Persephone goes on to say, you've never spoken to me like that before. Clearly, something else is going on for you to lash out in such a way. Yes, I can't wait to find out more because something happened in Attica and we need to figure out what it was. Chloe V commented on this episode of the webtoon and said, I love that the story is showing what actual healing looks like. Painful, uncomfortable, honest, and worth the work. I agree with that 100% wholeheartedly. I personally go to therapy once every three weeks because that's what I can afford. And I feel like the last time we talked about a therapy scene, I was like, I'm not currently in therapy because I can't afford it. (laughs) Now I can do it once every three weeks, which has done wonders for me, honestly. And I sure hope it does wonders for Demeter and Persephone as well. Meanwhile, Artemis meets up with Apollo and Apollo looks super tired, like he hasn't been sleeping. People want to avoid him. They're like, did you see what happened with Daphne? What he did to her? And then Artemis shows up. And she hugs him and says she missed him too. But she's also confronted with memories of showing up in the rain in the mortal realm, talking to Persephone with tears in her eyes, and definitely getting some silent confirmation of what her brother did to Persephone. So Artemis nervously confronts Apollo. She tells him she needs to ask him something before she loses the nerve to. And she needs him to be completely honest with her. And that's the end of the episode. Vagabond underscore 57 commented and said, bro, I know Artemis is usually a very tough and gruff kind of goddess, but I can't imagine the guilt she must be facing. She introduced Persephone to Apollo and it was in her house under her watch that he did what he did. I'm not blaming her, but imagine the guilt she feels for putting her friend in such a situation and not noticing for years. That can't feel good. I agree. I don't blame her for what happened. That was her brother's actions and he decided to do that. But of course she must be racked with guilt. Now I'm anxious to see what happens because every time Apollo was met with the opportunity to repent, to confess, to be honest, to move forward, he chooses narcissism instead. When we come back from a short musical interlude to dissect episode 248, we will be joined by my husband, Josh. We'll be right back. Olympus episode 248 is called, What is One Goddess Worth? So I love the title of this episode, What is One Goddess Worth? I feel like it's a very philosophical episode with a lot of philosophical questions. Yeah, I feel like that theme goes back to 247 and 244 to 249 too, for sure. How so? Well, we, you know, with the we get more about Artemis and her relationship to her mother in the previous one. And then we're looking forward to Hera and the questions, what is a goddess worth mm-hmm. apply to them too. Right. Not just Persephone. Right. So in Apollo's point of view, in his thought process, he thinks to himself, I firmly believe that I could create a perfect society if I were king. He's an idiot. He's a fascist. <laughs> it made me think of Light Yagami from Death Note. Yeah, right. I can just hear Light saying, I'll be God of the new world, you know? Yeah. At least 
he's not a, a sexual assaulter. Like Yagami? Yeah. I was I mean, like, he's, Apollo he's is an a awful sexual serial killer. At least Apollo is not an awful serial killer. They're Who both knows? terrible. They're both pretty awful. We're scraping at the bottom of the yeah. barrel here. So what do you think society would be like? Apollo's perfect society. How would that be ruled? I mean, he gets whatever he wants and things fall apart around him while he gets whatever he wants. Probably. And yet you see him kind of complimenting himself about all the things that he's done for society ever since he had a little bit more power come his way. So Big Tasty Omelette commented on this episode of the Webtoon and said, Let's not forget the women's health care building was originally Hestia's idea. The only reason he gets any credit for it is because the main gods and goddesses were in a coma. Okay. So back when Kronos was wreaking havoc right. and people were passed out, Apollo right. took advantage of some things. thought that was a really interesting comment. So when it comes to Persephone, Apollo thinks she has the ability to get me where I need to be, yet she fights me every step of the way. Does that sentence make sense to him? Right. It just shows me that he's a narcissist. Yeah, complete narcissist. Cannot imagine other people having as much sentience and value as himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, Persephone could help me, and yet she chooses mm-hmm. not to help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How dare she? Yeah. Right? And so he thinks to himself, and now she's back causing damage. And by that, he means... Artemis is confronting him right now right. about what he did to her friend Persephone. In Artemis's house. I know, in her apartment with mm-hmm. Persephone. And he thinks to himself, why should one goddess be able to stop me from giving everyone the future they deserve? We should try to answer that question. <laughs> why should one goddess be able to stop Apollo from giving everyone the future they deserve? Let's say he's really going to help society. We'll just believe him, even though he's probably not. Okay. Do you think one goddess saying bad things about him and feeling like he wronged her is enough to stop him from helping the greater good? Yes. I mean, nobody's stopping him from apologizing and making amends. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, like the path is there. Mm-hmm. Nobody's saying he can't do that. True. And also, Persephone's really not stopping him from anything. If he no. wants to help other beings, other gods and goddesses, I don't think she's standing in his way from doing that at all. Right. He's just very annoyed that this is that he made this mistake and it just shows his personality so deeply. Like he's not right. able to, um, like you said, make amends. Yeah, because the this whole world is filled with you know, people and character and persons who are constantly making amends and finding, you know, real complex solutions with one another. And he just doesn't want to participate in that. Yeah, he lets that pass him by every time. Mm-hmm. So all Apollo says to Artemis in this confrontation that we see, and it looks very tense between these twins. Yes. She's, he says, she said yes. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's enough for Artemis to know, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. That's all she needed to hear. No, he's awful. Ellie Soros commented on this episode of the Webtoon and said, I think that reaction said that she knows it's a lie and he won't change. And I wonder what she's going to do now. For sure, like there's a very deliberate panel of her letting him go. I know. You know, it was pretty sad. And that's what Laura Olympus does so well is, you know, make things really complicated mm-hmm. emotionally. And this with twins, mm-hmm. like you, that there are, you know, people you love do bad things. 
And how do you deal with that? Yeah. It's not an easy question to answer for Artemis or anybody else. What would you like to see Artemis do next? Now that she's let him go, we saw the panel of her releasing him. Now what for her? I mean, she has to decide some boundaries and then be willing to enforce them because Apollo, for his own sake of you know self-image, is probably going to try to restore this relationship with Artemis, I would expect. And she has to... You know, not let things, not let him just bully his way back into her life without his doing the work of making amends. Mm -hmm. And I know that Artemis is like a protector of women. That's something in the myths. Right. I would love to see her. I would love to see her society, (laughs) the world as she envisions it. Um, She doesn't have to be queen or anything, but just how she helps people because Apollo is just talking like he's helped so many and he's so altruistic and he's creating an ideal world and Persephone is stopping him. I'd like to see some good actually come from this family. And I think we have to lean on Artemis for that. Yeah. We move on from Apollo and Artemis's tense conversation and we go to Persephone and Demeter post-therapy sitting on a bench together. Were you, how, well, how did you feel about the therapy scenes? We didn't get to talk about that on the podcast at all. I thought the Rachel Smythe would be a good therapist. I think that all <laughs> right. the time. I think that all right, because the time. That she was a good, what is the, Chiron. the centaur? Chiron. Yeah, she was a good therapist. And you could, it was really great seeing Artemis trying to like dodge and weave the, the point of the Demeter. questions. Demeter, yeah. <laughs> dodge and weave the questions. And she eventually was able to like sort of redirect and change the subject just to avoid having to dig into her own past and why she is having these feelings about Persephone. I thought it was very good. Yeah. And so this, yeah, post scene on the bench was good too. Definitely. The psychology of the characters, Rachel has down pat. And I think it's fun to just step into the therapist for a second, into her persona, and to try to get Demeter to open up, to dig deeper into her family history and the family expectations that have been placed on her. I ate that up. I love a therapy scene. And Laura Olympus does them so well. I think a long time ago on the podcast, I was like, I want to see Hades in a therapy session because I know he has therapy too. Like back Mm -hmm. in the day when he was trying to break up with Persephone, but he wasn't really dating her yet. He was writing like a Dear Persephone letter. His therapist told him to write down his feelings. So he's in therapy too. I would love to see it. Yeah, me too. Right? And... Yeah, you know, the way um, Demeter was treated by her mom. Mm-hmm, Metis. Right? Her mom, Metis, is having some of the same logical sort of reasoning as Apollo, where, like, what is one goddess worth to the greater good? Mm. Right? And the same thing with Hera, throwing her at Kronos. Like, this one goddess is worth the sacrifice for the greater good. Just mm-hmm. not... Not fair, not true. I have one last anime reference that came to mind as you were talking about that. So what is one goddess worth? It makes me think of what is the worth or what is equivalent to a human soul, which is a huge question in the Mm -hmm. anime Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which is one of our favorites. Right. And so there's a time where one of the more villainous characters says, a soul is worth one soul and that's it. And, like, they wouldn't even call off a war because, you know, 
a soul is just worth one soul. So if like the leader of a village is like, hey, stop attacking my people. I surrender. As a leader, you can kill me, but please don't kill the rest of us. And he's like, no, because a soul is worth one soul. And I think it's more than that. I think one goddess is worth an immense amount. It's not just one equals one here. Yeah. Right? It's not. Yeah, I agree. You can't you can't make a math out of the value of a human being, mm-hmm. right? Because you're dealing now with the consequences with Demeter and with Hera. Mm-hmm. And then if the cycle continues, it'll be Persephone dealing with the consequences, you know? Yeah. And I do believe these, though they're, they're immortal, right? Like we humans are super mortal, but they're immortal. I still think they have souls and I still think they're very valuable. Back to Persephone and Demeter on the bench. We see that Demeter asks to see little baby Dionysus. Yeah, the little grape. The little grape who's oozing some wine out mm-hmm. of his pores. So cute. Mm-hmm. I think it gave me a little seed of hope to see Demeter ask to see the baby. For sure. That made me happy. She is like, I think, in her core, a mother, even broken as she is. Yeah, we're definitely going to dig into that a little bit more here because Persephone offers to talk about Elysis or Eleusis. I'm not sure how to pronounce it with Demeter. But do you remember her saying, Mom, do you want to talk about this? And then you flash to a panel of Demeter holding a tiny child wrapped in a green blanket. And Demeter says to her daughter, I can't talk about my past anymore today. I'm spent. So I don't know who that is. I'm not sure who that is either. Because I went back into some Lore Olympus history, and episode 236 is called What Happened in Attica? And that was when a concerned Hestia asks Demeter, what happened in Attica? And as Hestia begs Demeter to open up, we see a flash to a young child in green holding what looks like a caterpillar. Okay. And back then, when I talked about this on the podcast, I looked up Demeter, Eleusis, and Attica And a Wikipedia page popped up and it said that Demeter took the form of an old woman and was welcomed by the king of Eleusis in Attica. He asked her to nurse his son and Demeter appreciated the king's hospitality and decided to make the king's son immortal by coating him with ambrosia and burning his mortal spirit away in the family's hearth every night. She's kind of like burning the child like an ember. Mm. and the child's mother walked in one night and stopped Demeter from completing the ritual, freaking out that, like, you're burning my child alive. And then later, the failed immortalization of this child becomes the cause of that child's death. Mm. So I'm seeing Demeter with a child, and Eleusis and Attica have come up, and Demeter's very closed mouth about it. It makes me think that this is going to be Rachel's take on this part of the myth. Yeah, I look forward to that. I cannot wait. And I'm curious if maybe... um. If people can DM me or let me know if you know the answer to this. But I'm curious about whether this time where Demeter disguised herself as an old woman or took the form of an old woman is from when she was, you know, banished, her punishment. I'm just curious. Is this like the post-trial, what Demeter has been up to story? That's Um. what we're missing of what happened in Attica? Or am I just lost here? Please, somebody let me know. (laughs) I would really appreciate it. Yeah. If that is the myth that we're alluding to here, then it seems like Demeter lost another child in a way, like another child that she cared for and right. felt responsible for. And you were saying Demeter feels like a quintessential mother to you. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it does, it's interesting either way, if it's before Persephone or after Persephone. Right. Yeah. 
So something that really struck my heart and made me happy to see Demeter do this episode is that she apologized for the intervention. She said she was sorry. Did you see that coming? Not, I mean, I wanted it, but I didn't see it coming, no. Not She'd been bench. so stubborn before mm-hmm. that I wasn't sure she would ever do it. So it was a good apology, too. Like, I saw some people in the comments saying, at least she wasn't like, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry right. you were so hurt by something that when I try to love you. She didn't do any of that. She just said she was sorry, which meant she knew all this time that was wrong. And she was finally able to admit it to her daughter. And you saw Persephone's little smile. She was very cute about this. She's like, all I ask for is progress. And Demeter was really honest with herself when she said, I thought that I could hurt you into being in a better place. I feel like mm. that's such a common thing. Mm-hmm. We people. Especially as parents, I think, is like some, when you're raising children, you set up boundaries to like guide them to the right thing. And those boundaries include pain, you know? Mm. Like, you know, you can't have the thing that you want. Right. Mm-hmm. Or just, yeah. If you run down the stairs, you're going to fall on your face and hurt yourself. Don't touch the hot stove. You're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. That's so interesting. So you do get that philosophy where you think you might be able to hurt somebody into a better place. Mm. And sometimes you're wrong. Because I guess like the truth can hurt, right? And I think that's maybe a part of what she thought. I'm going to tell my daughter the truth. The truth hurts, but I'm going to tell her how I feel about Hades. I'm going to tell her what her place should be. It wasn't even the truth. No, it was you not. You know what I mean? It is like Demeter is getting triggered, right? Her emotional trauma from the past is getting triggered in the context of this situation with her own daughter. And all those feelings, which she doesn't want to actually deal with, you know, the, the roots of them, they're instead getting, you know, fueling this sort of rationalization about the situation where she knows better than Persephone. And I'm having these feelings because Persephone is not doing what she should logically do. Mm-hmm. And she's causing these feelings in me, not the actual cause, which is her unresolved emotional trauma. I love how complex the mindsets of these characters are. Like, you just really spoke to Demeter's perspective a lot. That resonated with me. Yeah. That was really good insight. So, yeah, they're in a better place right now. Um, a little bit, slightly better after one therapy session. So thank you, Chiron. Love you. Appreciate you. But yeah, Demeter still does not approve of Hades. I think it's going to take some time and more conversations for that, for her to come around on that, you know? So at the end of the episode, Apollo shows up like in the night sky and talks to a star or what looks like a star. And he says he needs help. And the response is, there is much to do. Any guess as to who Apollo is talking to? The, the wish upon a star god? That's what was my first thought. He went up and it was like the wish upon a star. I don't know who he's talking to. I don't know. I have not fast passed yet. I don't think there's wish upon a star has any connection to the Greek gods, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so there's a guess in the comments that I'll read to you. And let me know if you feel like this could be the theory that you're latching on to here. No Shoes 39 commented on this episode and said, My thoughts on who Apollo is talking to. Astrius was the titan god of stars and planets and of the art of astrology. By Eos, the dawn, he was the father of the stars and the four seasonal winds. The arrival of these winds was heralded by the rising of certain constellations. 
Astrios or Astrius also had a daughter named Astria, who was the goddess of the constellation Virgo. So maybe Apollo is looking for backup that Persephone said yes, but interesting that it might involve a Virgo reference. Looking for backup that Persephone might have said yes? That is where I got lost in the comment as well. Yeah. I, I was really with the like whole Astrius or Astreos being the titan god of stars because that seems right if I'm looking at a star here. But maybe they're saying like the night sky, like the god of the night sky or the goddess of the constellation Virgo could have seen that moment. But she didn't say yes. Persephone said yes to being with him in the room. It was very right. messy, but she was not fully consenting. He did yeah, not have her full consent right. that night. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I mean, I think it is probably connected to Astrius, mm-hmm. but I don't know why Astrius would want to align with Apollo. Mm. I will say that Apollo is just like choosing violence every time. I'm just like, you have so many opportunities. You lost your twin. That's not a wake-up call for him. He's going to take this. I don't I don't know if, I don't think he'll ever be redeemed. That's my guess right now. I could be wrong, but I don't think he'll ever be redeemed. He's out here still looking to prove, possibly prove, that, you know, Persephone's in the wrong and to still further himself in society mm-hmm. instead of making amends, like you said. There's much to do. Like, it doesn't seem like this is him going and, checking the records to prove something it seems like there's some bigger plan at work do you think it's an evil plan or do you think he had a change of heart and he's gonna be a nicer god now i think it's evil (laughs) i think this maybe astrius has been encouraging him to be king this whole time Hmm. i don't know i don't know either but when we come back from the short musical interlude we are talking about a different abuser we are talking about chronos and his relationship to hera We'll be right back. Episode 249 of Lore Olympus is called Blood-Colored Goddess. So this is about Hera. Hera is hiding away from everyone. And we get a flashback to how... Hera met Kronos, at least at the start of her plan, that she can't even remember who came up with the plan, her Zeus or her, but the plan to kind of bring Kronos down to become his golden traitor and, right. you know, start that journey. So yeah, one of the first things Kronos ever says to Hera is, you are the color of blood. So what does that say about him as a character? That he is like intimate with the color of blood i thought that too yeah i was like he's like really um sort of killing the mood that she's trying to set up but then by the end of it i think he said something he turns it around and <laughs> it's like i would do anything for you like blood colored goddess or mm-hmm. something he's a little yeah. morbid yeah he's lonely mm-hmm. and morbid it's not easy being giant yeah. And cruel. <laughs> no. Right? I think it's interesting to compare Hera and, I mean, just because we're close to it right now, Demeter. Mm-hmm. Right? In that, like, they both, Demeter 
sort of made decisions working with her mom, right? And Hera is now making decisions to work with Zeus, and they're both sort of um, sacrificing themselves in mm-hmm. ways, right? But like in, in comparison, there's a difference between the two that Hera is, you know, making these decisions on her own more, it seems, right? I mean, do you feel like the pressure from Zeus is not as heavy as the pressure from Metis? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. it's po- Yeah, I think that's true. Oh, it's going to be a complicated time for Hera as we talk through the decisions that she makes and the consequences of them. But to his statement of her being the color of blood, she says she prefers starlight. Right. Which I like. Um, and that, I think that's one of his nicknames for her as well because he does call her starlight right after that. And I think when I heard when I heard him say, when I read Kronos saying, you're the color of blood, like you, I felt like he's the type of guy that sees war in everything. He sees war and violence in every little thing. And so that's why that's his first reference. Instead of saying you look like starlight or like a yellow flower, you know, <laughs> just makes it, he's like a very dark character. Yes. And as Hera is thinking about her past, she thinks, I was young and unprepared for how confusing it would all be. Right. She was. So, no, she didn't have the pressure of her. Well, she did have a lot of pressure. I think a lot of people were counting on her. Yeah, right, right. She had a lot of pressure. People were counting, people, other goddess, gods and goddesses, were counting on her to take down their biggest enemy and to find his vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. and his weaknesses and to weaken him even just a little bit. That's a huge task. So I do think that her decisions were influenced by that. And she didn't think she would... I don't think when she took this mission, she was like, I'm going to fall in love with him and be really confused and be haunted by it so many years later. No. There's no way she knew that. No. And it got to the point where there's some devastating panels in this where Hera is saying, I love you, back to Kronos. And it, and it looks like she means it. When you look at her face, it looks really sincere. And it just felt so bad for her. Yeah. Yeah. And then Kronos standing over the bed saying, I just want you to admit it. Mm-hmm. Right. And she won't do it. And so when he's saying that, do you think he means, I want you to admit that you love me? That's what I thought. I think so, too. But she's older now, but she's yeah. probably still pretty confused. Yeah, and even that I don't think that's love. I mean, you're you're acting for one, and you're young to be, you know, confused by your own acting. Mm-hmm. Like you open up the doors to those feelings, and those feelings sink in, and you know, get your body believing those feelings, get your mind believing those feelings. You know, if you're acting your heart out. Mm-hmm. Then eventually I feel like it's just, yeah, it's confusing. But I don't think it's real. I think you're right. It's That's tough. I'm, I'm up with you everywhere up until I don't think it's real. Because I agree that acting something out can influence you to actually feeling that thing. People always say, like, project confidence. Even if you're really scared, if you, like, walk into a room and do your power pose, you will appear more confident and it will start to work. Or if you just put a smile on your face, I've heard this before, you will genuinely start to think like more happy thoughts, things like that. So I agree with you that her acting it out, like it opens the doors to the feelings flooding in. But then 
by that same theory, maybe those feelings are real. If you're open to love, maybe love floods in a bit. Well, I think that, I mean, I guess the question is like what makes a feeling real and true, right? Yeah. I mean, they're real in the sense that they, um, you know, have effect, right? But like as far as consciously accepting them mm-hmm. in a way, I feel like that makes feelings more real when it comes to love anyway. I guess you're right because another cliche thing people say about love is that it's a choice and you choose to love people right. and you show it through your actions. So in that sense, I understand what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Think of uh, someone who's been kidnapped. What is that I know. syndrome called? Or... Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, Stockholm Syndrome. I thought of that the entire episode yeah. for poor Hera. Right. It's it's complicated and confusing, but I wouldn't call that real. real. Hmm. Because it's, yeah, your choice isn't in it. I definitely see what you mean. Yeah, your choices are taken away. Hmm. Hera walked into this, but he, I mean, Kronos is not a good, I don't want her to be in love with Kronos. No. <laughs> Clearly. He eats people. <laughs> <laughs> he tears people, including her. Uh-huh. So that's, a, that's an abuser that she's in love with. Yes. Or has loving feelings. Toward. Something. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to bring us back to episode 119, which was called Once I Was a Goddess. And that episode is from Hera's perspective. And she thinks to herself, once I was a goddess, but now I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be. And she misses her old life. She misses her friends. She misses her mother. And she says, I feel as though I traded them all to be your golden traitor, torn asunder to be the goddess of marriage. If there was ever like a Hera spinoff of Lore Olympus, mm-hmm. it would be called Torn Asunder. And it would be a very powerful piece of media. <laughs> I just know it, you know? It's always resonated with me. I always bring up Once I Was a Goddess. And it's very often brought up on this podcast because that episode really gave me insight into how she felt. And we just keep going deeper and deeper. But, like, she doesn't even feel, like, in the same way that we don't feel, like, imagine me saying, once I was a human being, like, once I was a woman, a girl, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And she doesn't even feel like herself, like, her core essence is gone. That's how bad this abuse was. Right. Yeah. And it's like, seeing Hera's story, she's the goddess of marriage, but it doesn't feel like she just that that she embodies marriage right she right now is like the opposite of that right Mm -hmm. marriage makes you whole it doesn't tear you asunder Mm -hmm. and her marriage to zeus is filled with lots of problems Mm -hmm. i did notice when she was saying like i saw that demeter wanted to be with zeus but she's like i earned that title i deserved it but what's sad is that it's such a hollow thing i don't think it brings her any joy she's been sad for like hundreds of episodes Mm-hmm. she's been sad she's had a low self-esteem she has been self-deprecating toward herself many instances of that where she's like i know i like i'm like this and she's just so sad i can just see her with mascara running down her face right so if Hera was to continue this journey to be really become the goddess of marriage would there be someone to replace zeus that would help her find wholeness or would Zeus have to transform himself? Are you saying, like, could she find a new man? Yeah, is there a new <laughs> man out there in Olympus or 
wherever. I think there is, and I would be totally happy for Hera if she found herself a new man and felt better with that person or God. But I also feel like I would love to see Zeus come around and finally be the husband she deserved all this time and the support because she deserves that. She put herself on the line for him and he has not repaid her very well at all. If there are times, there are glimpses where Zeus seems to care about her a lot. Like back when she was bleeding from her stomach, from her scars, and he would like, he brought her to the, to take care of her. Like he picked her up. He was trying to be there for her, but you got to actually be there for her, Zeus, and stop sleeping around, please. Yes. It's hurting her really badly. Yes, agreed. In this episode, Hestia is there for Hera, which was a relief. You know, Hestia came inside, gave her a bath, combed her hair. And at the end of the episode, Hera opens her mouth and finally admits, I can see Kronos and he's here. How did you feel at the end? Relieved. Me too. Yeah. This is killing her. She needs help. Torn asunder. That is our Hera. But like that journey requires piecing yourself back together and sewing up the wounds, you know? I just want to see that for her. <laughs> I feel so bad for this character. So hashtag I love life commented and said, secrets, especially bad ones, can weigh you down to the point where you literally can't do anything until you tell someone that can help. Yeah, it's true. I feel like that's what was happening for Hera. Right? No, secrets are not not great. No, they're not. Sometimes they're necessary, but most times they're not. And this not secret, great. I don't think it was necessary no. for her to keep. I'm glad she spilled it. And then Depressed Goddess commented and said, Laura Olympus takes me to therapy every freaking week. LOL. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's true. You can't spell therapy without Hera. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I was very excited (laughs) when I realized that. (laughs) Any predictions for what might happen to Hera next? Well, I think all the... Gods are going to come to her aid to figure this out. And hopefully we'll get some more dream journeys with mm-hmm. with uh, Persephone and Hades. That can help maybe. I mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah, maybe they'll go on another dive, like sleep dive and right. figure out what's going on. I want to know who the child deity is who's trapped in Tartarus with Kronos. I'm dying to know the answer to that mystery. We'll have to see. Mm-hmm. And there you have it. That was our breakdown of episodes 247 through 249 of Lore Olympus by Rachel Smythe. If you found yourself enjoying the podcast, consider joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash girlwonder. There you'll find a bunch of perks, including early access to podcast episodes. All right, let's wrap this up. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. We currently have no sponsors, so here's a shout-out to a random listener instead. This week's shout-out goes to Savory Sketch on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to Girl Wonder. New episodes are uploaded on Saturdays. I'm Joe Rochelle, and we'll talk again next week. Bye!